Daft About Craft, the Craft Beer Podcast. This is Hannah from Hall Beer Specialists in the Great Western Arcade in Birmingham, and we're the proud sponsors of Daft About Craft. It's December. Christmas is on the way, and this is Daft About Crafts, the Craft Beer Podcast, episode number 38. Welcome along. You've got me, Dave D, in South Staffordshire. And me, Dave B. And he's sitting down there in Suffolk. We have got a real Christmas bonanza, haven't we? We've not scrimped on guests, hopefully, this time, have we, Dave? Uh, Absolutely not. We've got not one guest, but two guests, and then news of a bonus episode, which may well contain a third guest. How about that? So we'll be starting off with... A chat to Little Brewing. Now, Little Brewing have been going in their current guy since 2020, and they've just released their very first cans. Dave's got a couple to drink. Looking forward to that. And we've also got another guest. Who's that one, Dave? So we are very pleased to be joined by Tom from Wonder Beyond. Like a couple of other breweries, actually, a few seem to be having birthdays at this time of the year, but Wonder Beyond have turned five. And to celebrate the fact they have released a birthday pack of five beers. And Tom is very kindly going to talk us through them and we will enjoy one or two while talking to him. Those who know Wonder Beyond know that the stuff is very strong, so we will only be having one or two in one sitting. Yeah, well, we've actually got all five of these birthday beers, but that might be pushing the boundaries a bit to try and drink all of those. So this will be appearing where Hypo Tripe usually figures. And, well, hopefully these big beers will live up to the name. They've been all over the socials in the last week or so. Lots of plugs for them everywhere, and hopefully we'll be enjoying them. We've also got Sam from Copper Beach, the brewer's wife, along. We've got Tried and Tested, our favourite beer since our last episode. That bonus episode we talked about, it's going to be our cheese and beer pairing. And we thought, because we've already got two guests this time and plenty going on, we'd release the cheese special just a few days before Christmas, give you something to listen to over the festive season if you're bored of all the usual things. So cheese and beer will be a standalone episode. And then you've got this one with all the stuff we've just mentioned and kicking it off as usual with Brew to Me, where we get hold of a beer from a brewery we haven't tried before. I have got a beer from Oslo Brewing Company as the name suggests, are based in Oslo. I'd never heard of them, and these beers were in a delicatessen-style food and, and drink store, which it carries a range of craft. It carries all the local stuff, so there's some Duration and some of the other Norfolk breweries. But also, randomly, they have these Oslo beers, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to try these. I got two. Bottles or cans? Daya-sized cans. Oh, nice. Other, other, other breweries do 500 mils, but as we've said before, I always think of Daya when I think of 500. So nice. I got two. One, one's a wit beer, which I'm not having. The beer I'm having is a passion fruit blondale, 4.7%. Oslo Brewing Company, they were set up a couple of years ago. I think it's a bit of a collective. The website isn't heavy on the detail, but it's it looks to be a bit of a collective thing to sort of celebrate crikey oh dear oh dear look at that the headmaster in operation there that trumps me that does excellent effort that was incredibly lively that can has been upright for a good while and it still came out like a rocket but from the uh, froth i was trying to stop from going everywhere 
I can smell Ante's passion fruit, oh, nice. so that's an encouraging sign. Certainly no carbonation issues there, anyway. No, definitely. That's one of the liveliest beers I've had in a long time. Yeah, just to go back to them. Yeah, they're a small group of people living in and around Oslo with a common love for our city, and together with our friends, we develop the beer we believe in. So it just sort of seems a bit of a collective thing. They've been going a while. I think they've got about 80 beers on one tap, so they're not new to it in that sense. They've got bottles. They've got 330s. They've got 440s. And they've got 500ml cans, so they really do the range. And it also looks like they ship to the US and Japan. So they're quite an international-based craft company. And somehow ended up in a delicatessen in Sleepy Norfolk. Yeah, which is very odd, but... I'm just interested, actually. Ah, now this is interesting. So uh, it makes a bit more sense now. But under their categorization, they come under as a contract brewery. So they're obviously probably quite big scale, which I guess if you're shipping around the world like that, you're going to be. So basically here, their recipes are being brewed at other breweries. Yeah, it sounds that way, doesn't it? Now the head's quietened down a bit on that. I have just had my first sip of it. Now, I was sort of thinking I was going to get given it's quite hazy, a sort of hazy, pale, passion fruit tasting pale. Mm. But the the blonde actually makes it, you know, when that passion fruit is sort of a bit sweet and also a bit tart, that kind of taste, it's got that. Mm. It's mm. not going towards, it's not quite a sour or anything like that, but it's not really thick and really creamy and really sweet or anything like that. It's actually quite refreshing, I guess, okay. a bit acidic, a bit effervescent, that kind of taste. Mm. Sounds quite nice. It's not bad. I, I'm probably drinking it the wrong time of year, I would say more of a summer beer yeah that's one for the garden after you've cut the grass and you're sort of kicking back in your deck chair isn't it i think so but it's pleasant it's not a world beater for sure it sort of retains an authenticity of craft which is good that's the danger isn't it when when Mm. you get some of these contract breweries and it sort of it, it all becomes a bit mass produced and yeah i don't think it's quite there in terms of tasting mass produced it's uh it's perhaps not got quite the love and attention of a real micro-brewed beer, but mm. it's it's more than passable. Okay. What have you got? Right, well, you've got a pretty solid one there by the sounds of it, so let's hope I can do the same. Now, the beer I've got is from a brewery that, not only have I never tried it, I've never even heard of them, it's Electro Brewing, and it's in a bottle, and I just found it on a shelf up here. Can't remember where it came from, but I looked at the bottle and I thought, ooh, that looks very European, maybe Spanish or something. Yep. Just look them up. They're from Wales. Okay. I hope the bottle's in date as well, just for the sake of a fair review. I mean, it wouldn't be like me to have an out-of-date beer knocking around, would it? No, not at all. So, yeah, so I've got a beer from Electro, and it is their 808 New England IPA, which is Citra and Mosaic, according to the bottle. So we should know what we're going to get here, shouldn't we? Should be no surprises. Yeah, what strength is it weighing in at? Um, it is just below 6%, 5.9. Okay. Well, it's not the colour I would expect. I'd expect it to be that sort of thick and vibrant yellow that you can't really see through. What we oh. have here is more of an orangey one with just a little bit of haze. It smells just like you'd expect. Right. But for me, there's just a little bit more bitterness at the end than perhaps you would expect from this. Obviously, everyone's listening, so they don't have the benefit of visuals. But I can tell, as much as you always try and put a positive spin on, I don't think this is a bad beer, but you're struggling to find much to get you very excited. Yeah, I think sometimes, like on the last episode when we had when I had that 
New Zealand IPA from mm. from Wednesday day. I was really waxing lyrical and there was loads to say about yeah. it. But yeah. on this one, you know, it's fine. It's it's not it's not to coin a Dave B expression, it's not blowing the doors off. It's just a citra and mosaic beer that you could happily sit and drink but wouldn't remember in half an hour's time really. Which is I think probably from the last three episodes we've done, perhaps where Electro are based within Wales and this beer is available in some local shops around there and people like it. And yeah. it's one of, you know, it's, and that's how it's, how it earns its corn. Whereas we're probably looking for a bit more sometimes of that beer, which transcends just where yeah. you are based locally and brewing for the local populace. You, you want the stuff that's, Oh, this, this could go everywhere. This is great. <laughs> Some breweries don't need to get their beer out across the whole of the UK and further afield to make no. their business a viable concern, do they? No, if it's working for them, great. And, you know, this beer sounds, via the medium of Zoom, okay, but it doesn't It doesn't sound like it's amazing. But, uh, as you say, not all beers can be. I would, however, be interested to try their Blackberry Sour, which I've got listed on their website. Okay, so yeah. If, so if I see that, I certainly wouldn't be put off getting it, and I would go for it. It's a fine beer, but wouldn't go back to it, but I would explore more from the brewery. Okay, it's time for a chat on the podcast now. And we like to get hold of brewers and breweries we don't know much about. We all know the big names, but we've got hold of a smaller name, in fact, quite a little name. Good evening to Matthew from Little Brewing. Good evening. So tell us about your the history. Well, the brewery was started in 2015 under the name Little Over Brewery. And Little Over is a, a small suburb of Derby where we're based. Although the brewery has never been based in Little Over, it was just the spiritual home of the chap that started the brewery off originally. So when we took over uh, two and a half years ago, we, I guess, didn't really feel any love for Little Over. And uh, we've we've managed to play on the fact we were a little over the name. So we're now just <laughs> the little guys. And uh, that's how we became Little Brewing Company. I sort of said you were little, but you're not that small, are you, actually, in terms of production? No, we do like to call ourselves the little guys but we're we're brewing on effectively an eight barrel kit and we high gravity brew to just under 10 barrels and we're brewing around three times every week not really that little anymore so to put that into perspective for listeners how many pints would you be turning out each week uh we're looking around four and a half thousand pints so where's the sort of demand for that many pints in in the little over area and, and beyond because obviously there must be otherwise you wouldn't do it well demand is um an interesting <laughs> <laughs> we've got quite a diverse portfolio of beers initially it was a cask led brewery and an only cask it was brewing once a week and a very rigid brew on a monday cask on a wednesday as i think a lot of small very small microbreweries do the market has changed enormously through the last two years. And we just found that a lot of drinkers that were that always been cask drinkers had suddenly had no option other than supermarket beers and found themselves drinking, you know, heaven forbid, lagers mm. and these these fizzy beers in cans and came out the other end of COVID and thought back at the pub, well, there's a lot of beer that actually I've tried and I really like. And so we've followed that. We've 
moved away from bottling. We've put a small canning plant in. Um, we've put fermenters in that we can keg beers and we're now doing keg beers. I mean, our Pilsner is a, like a classic Pilsner. We, we lager it for five weeks in the brewery. And so we've not got a massive cask following that we had before, but we've got a much broader following to whereas we were putting two casks into a pub, we might now put two casks, three kegs and five cases of different cans. That's how we kind of make up the numbers, along with a couple of national wholesalers that help us do a bit of the legwork. So your cans, I'm right in saying that they're a relatively new thing. You've just released your first cans, in fact. Yes, we've been canning quietly for the last year, but we've only launched to the public in the last two weeks. It's That's a very soft launch. Yes, it is. It is. You only get one go at this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention names, but we can all name brewers who have had cans explode in supermarkets, who have had big recalls, who have had a lot of publicity negatively about, oof, yeah, no, they are cans exploding in people's kitchens. and mm-hmm. So we've had cans sat around in the brewery in the coldest places, in the hottest places, in places that get hot in the day and cold at night, um, across a range of beers. And on a month basis, we've cracked them open, we've had them under the microscope, we've sent them away for testing. Wow. We are small. We don't have a centrifuge. We don't have a massive filtration plant. We don't pasteurise anything. So getting it getting it right was really important. And touch wood, we've, uh, we've not had an issue at all. So we're, we're really pleased. So these cans have literally had the ultimate road test then? Uh, Pro- yeah. Probably with this British summer as well that we've had. You, you wanted extreme heat and everything. You probably had that. Yeah. Wow. There yeah. can't be many breweries that go to No, it's the first time I've ever heard of this. Sort of no, such extremes. Quality, um, quality testing. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a few additional reasons which are not so uh, marketable. We came out of COVID and we've grown. Our keg demand has been been brilliant. And that has tied up our carbonation tanks. So we haven't had as much capacity as we want. If, if we do a canning run, we lose a big slot for a, a beer that we can sell in like a 10 barrel quantity. But suddenly yeah. shifting 3000 cans of a complete new beer is, um, is something that's we've kind of been very cautious about. That must be pretty daunting as well. Well, it's exciting. That's um, a better way to look at it. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the moment, if, if everything is daunting in brewing. Mm. We're looking at a competitive market like we've we've probably never seen before. Heineken have put the prices up just under sixteen percent. They're putting in flow meters into most of their pub estate, so that whereas before, I think pubs could have about seventy five percent of their products tied and twenty five percent free. It's now more seventy five percent volume from what I'm being led to believe. So that's that's squeezing down the independent trade. And Just... we're experiencing the highest malt cost increase in the last decade, we think. So um, are you glad you did this? <laughs> y- yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Not every day. We fully took over the brewery in August 2020, and it had been quite a long conversation getting there but every month is better than the previous month year on year for us because all we've known is is brewing through covid and trying to shift an entirely cask business entirely on trade into direct consumer 
and small pack and then back again and then almost back again and then trying to find the balance of the two. But ultimately, it's a really exciting industry to be in and some lovely people. So what was your background then? How did you come into this industry? Because if I'm right, your background is nothing to do with brewing, is it? No, not exactly. I spent 10 years working on um, ships as an electromechanical engineer. So I'm very technically minded, but before I I really came into this, um, I've brewed a lot more tea than I've ever brewed beer. Um, And I do brew a mean cup of tea, but (laughs) it's a very technical game. Um, Mm. We talk to an awful lot of brewers that we meet. And the more you talk to the good brewers, the more technical and scientific you realise brewing is. There's a lot of people out there that don't have a microscope and don't have a pH meter and are pulling off some incredible beers. But consistency is the absolute key. And if you haven't got that technical brain behind you, I think it's going to be very hard to to get any kind of consistency or be able to replicate beers or know why you can't replicate them. What we have here, Dave, again, is another one of these. um, We find this so many, so many times. We've said this so much somebody with that eye for detail who will go the extra mile fanatical about what you do fanatical and technically obsessive seems to go very hand in hand with craft brewing i think there's a lot of people that think oh brewing beer must be really easy and you can do a bit fly by night but then actually if you want to brew consistently good beer you've really got to go into the the nth degree of things and it's it's all the small margins actually really make a big big difference when you put them all together We've been really lucky. We had a chance meeting with a chap just over two years ago who happened to work at the Nottingham University uh, Brewing Science Facility who said, oh, a brewery your size, you want to get yourself onto the brewing apprenticeship level four with Nottingham University. And we thought, well, I think I've done all my schooling really. And <laughs> what um, what's that going to do? And it's opened us up to the chap that taught us yeast has written six textbooks on yeast. His entire life has been spent on yeast. And he his entire job is teaching the master's degree course just about yeast. And he's been to our brewery and talked to us about looking after yeast. And the chap who teaches the master's course on hops has been. And we've had a brewer who's been the head brewer at just about every big lager brewery in the world. And he worked with us on the Pilsner and the more you are exposed to these people and it's interesting because you say people at a craft level are very technical but you start to talk to people at you know, Heineken and Carlsberg and Marston's to a degree and actually because they only do one beer anyone's heard of it has to be exactly the same every single time there's no error and a lot of the craft world is made of beers that you only see once and they're amazing but you're not always sure whether they know why they're amazing or how they can make them better. Or And this, this whole thing of the exposure to the lager world, there's so little room to hide in a lager. And actually, if you get talking to the craft brewers that are brewing lagers, they're the guys that we're kind of really blown away with. I mean, I, I love a Nipah. It's one of my favourite beers. 
but there's so much room to hide in it. And even the haze, you start, you put it under a scope and we, we'd beg us for doing it. We'll buy a can. We'll love it. We'll get another one. We'll take it back and we'll stick it under the microscope and we'll try and work out. Is this a yeast haze? Is this like protein haze? Is, is this a haze that they wanted in this way? Or is it like an accidental haze or? Do you do it with, say, a beer? Do you get two cans of the same beer or anything like that just to see if you can pick the differences, if there are any, between two even in the same batch or the same run or anything? So not for looking at differences on that level because most of the time you'll get two cans and they'll be from the same batch. Uh, Even the mobile cannons will do a minimum of like 1,200 litres. So the smallest scale kind of commercial canning you've still got nearly 3000 440 mil cans mm-hmm. coming out so but from getting two one to enjoy yeah although i mean you guys must find it how many beers do you have when you find you're halfway through and think i'm not just drinking this beer anymore i'm not just enjoying it i'm really trying to work out oh has that hop i've had before or what's that flavor or mm-hmm. We find it fascinating because you can put two beers in a lineup, three beers in a lineup with the same hops. They all taste completely different. Yeah, we've been fascinated about like the different ratios of hopping and the effect of the whirlpool and things like that for ages. And it's sort of it's not a industry secret or anything, but it's each brewer is different with it in terms of how much they're sort of either willing to divulge or know what they want to divulge and things like that. I think hopping is it's a minefield dead exciting news like breaking news i'm on my way at four in the morning down to deepest darkest devon to pick up a hundred liter pilot kit it's a perfect replica of our big brew kit and this is one of the things we're looking at because currently we use leaf hop in the boil and pellets in the fermenters and we're looking to move the whole brewery over to pellet which i guess would be more standard in the craft world is a real split to be honest, because you have to have a whirlpool kettle or some form of whirlpool to be able to use pellet in your copper. And a lot of the smaller, certainly most of the Dave Porter kits, which I think a lot of craft brewers have started out on, are all based on leaf hop or cone. But there's a difference in efficiency for the extract or the bitterness and the hop aromas. It gives us a small enough scale that we can play around. And if you alter all the timings so you could have exactly the same batch of hop you could put exactly the same quantity in and throughout the boil you just change the five minute if you put everything in at 60 minutes or you put everything uh, the majority at 60 some at 55 some at 45 you have exactly the same volume of bitterness you can extract but you'll extract a different amount you'll have a different finishing hop aroma there's so many variations to just how you use exactly the same hop to the flavour you get at the end. and makes it really exciting and really interesting. There's a whole new layer here that we haven't explored a great deal. And I was going to say before, when you were talking about microscopes, in the two years plus we've been doing this podcast and we've spoken to a brewer on pretty much every episode, that's the first time the word microscope has ever been used on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. The first thing we were told by this chap, Rod White, the man in brewer lecturing at Nottingham University. I mean, what he hasn't done is kind of, or who he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. And he said, have you got a pH meter? No. Right. Get a pH meter. Have you got a microscope? No. Right. Get a microscope. Is anything else? No, no, no. No, You can do 
absolutely everything with a pH meter and a microscope and you carry your pH meter around. And that is the most useful tool in the brewery, more than any other piece of equipment at all. While we have been talking, I've opened yoga at 11. Very rarely had any white stouts as well. So I was really intrigued with this to begin with. And I'm even more intrigued now, not only because of the conversation we're having, but also the beer itself. It's got a really different nose, which I can't pin down because we were talking about smells and tastes, and I can't quite get that right in my head as to what it smells of. But to taste, I'm really confused now because I am basically having a white coffee i don't necessarily get much um, caramel but i'm having a white latte stout and it's really interesting so what was the sort of thinking and the brew process behind this beer i think a white stout is one of these really interesting styles i I don't know if you've ever been wine tasting and they've given you a glass of red and said oh what does this smell like and you've gone oh um yes i'm getting like black currant and and they said all right because this is a pinot grigio that we've just put some red food coloring in you're not getting any black currant you're not get, you're getting stone fruit that you you're getting a classic dry white wine so we were trying to brew something that has the like the bitterness yes stout but not hop bitterness no this is my third version we had two batches that just weren't right and we brew them alongside our typical stout, which is the Panther, of 4.2%. And that's a heavy oatmeal stout. But we didn't want this super, super hazy. Obviously, it hasn't got any chocolate malt. It hasn't got any roasted barley that you typically have to mm. get that. So we had to do it with very neutral hops with a very high alpha content early on in the boil. So we drove off all the aroma and tried to drive off all the hop flavour and just have the hot bitterness left with some sweeter malts to try and get that mouthfeel and that stout body back in. Which it does. And what was really interesting is, Dave and I have talked about this on previous episodes, I saw in the back of what contains lactose, and I immediately thought, oh, okay, I know how this is going to go. It'll pour out light in colour, fine, I get that. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to get the bit of coffee and then the milk will come from just the lactose. And that's what I'm going to taste. I actually wouldn't know that there is lactose in that if the can said that. It doesn't taste of lactose. I sort of, we've, we've had discussions about it. Lactose can be a little bit of a sort of cheat almost, just give that sort of sweet fullness. This is not sweet, but it is full, but it's definitely not for me the lactose doing it, which is really intriguing. Yeah, so we, we've relied on dextrin malt, some caramalts for the sweetness, and we've actually put the lactose in the boil. Because if you put the lactose into your fermenter really late on, you can get, I mean, some people use it for trying to aid haze stability. You get a lot of, a lot of body from it, but you will get a lot of sweetness. But we found that if it goes in at the end of the boil, you lose some of that artificial sugar sweetness. Mm. And, and then we condition it for longer. So it comes off the yeast as soon as the beer's finished. And we sit this in the conditioning tank for longer than we'd have a, like a traditional ale to just mellow it. That all comes through. And that's incredibly complex for, without dumbing it down, a 4.5% beer. That feels like an awful lot of work to go into a beer like that when you feel like a lot of breweries chuck out a 4% beer 
because it's a four percent beer, if you know what I mean. Yeah, we only do one beer over five percent at the moment. Right. We're doing a few more, and we're we're not like duty cheats. We're not trying to <laughs> brew weak beers to to not pay higher duty on it. The market as a whole is moving to lower alcohol beers. Yeah. Our oatmeal stout has won some decent awards. We came silver at SEBA nationally last year for a stout under 4.5%. And we try really hard to get beers that are full of flavour but not high alcohol. Because ultimately, if you go out and you want to have three pints, Mm. well, you can have, for most people, not not a medical recommendation, obviously, you can have three 4.5% pints, but you can't have three 5.9% pints well, yes. <laughs> well, you could. But no, I, I, I completely take your point. Yes, you can. And you could easily have three pints of this bit. Well, you, I mean, what we're saying here is if you want to go out having a few beers, you want something that's complex, full of flavour, but not too strong. Mm. Yeah, and ultimately that's a commercial decision because as much as I can sit here and say, oh, I've tried really hard to make it 4.5% and not 5 I have tried really hard to make it four and a half and not five but that's because if a customer can go to a pub and drink five pints of it instead of three well i've sold five pints instead of three so the more flavor we can get in to a lower percentage beer everybody wins really now dave unfortunately can't sample the beers just yet because of postal strike it's going to be worth the wait though isn't it well, this is what I was going to say, because you're enjoying a blackberry sour, which Dave will be itching to get his hands on. But I'd love to hear the sort of process behind a sour and what Dave mm. can expect for that, because how you've talked yeah. us through the stout and everything that's gone into that. Well, this is this is where your magic pH meter comes in. We actually came about this in a, a bit of a backwards way. I had a sour from a big brewer last year as part of an advent calendar. And at the end of it, I thought, I need to get to the dentist because I think I've just lost all the enamel <laughs> on my teeth. And you have that feeling that your gums are coming away from your teeth and sometimes they are just too sour. And other times you'll have a sour and you think, I don't know if this is sour or this is just a we, bit stale. The amount of sours I've had that are not sour at all, they just do not fulfil the brief. Yeah, so... We looked at it and said, okay, well, I want to brew a sour. We have a smallish brew unit, as in I don't have the space to split my fermenters completely apart and doing a full, full-blown kind of like wild fermentation is something down the line. I'd love to, but putting a massive kind of lacto infection into the brewery would, wouldn't go down well. So we said, okay, well, we're going to do a kettle sour. And this is this is a kettle sour. So we sour it and then back into the kettle and boil it to stop the bacteria from souring any further. But to know where to stop, we did a load of trials with some lactic acid in other beers. And we took the base beer that we thought we were going to end up souring and dosed it with lactic acid. We use lactic acid to regulate our mashing liquor, so something that we have on on hand, and we dropped it in drop by drop and checked the pH and with a taste panel to make sure that we were hitting it sour enough, but it's actually really refreshing and it makes you want to have another. And it's that palate cleanser. Yeah, this one's blackberry, so it's got, I think, 15 grams per litre of blackberry fruit in the fermenter. And that's then soured once it's down to our desired 
pH, it's back into the kettle and has a very quick, quick boil to stop stop it getting any sourer. Then we ferment it out with a, another yeast to, to finish the fermentation. People are doing some amazing sours that are completely just like run away. They'll pitch and they'll shut the door and they turn out amazing. But for our first sour, obviously you can see the, the control freak in me. That It's really fascinating to see what's involved in producing a beer. You know, we've all done a bit of homebrew in our time and you get the kit from the supermarket and shove it in the airing cupboard and all this. And it seems relatively simple, but plenty of brewers have explained the scientific side of things to us. But I, I think I'll be writing saying, Dave, nobody in such detail as yourself. Yeah, I think either a lot of brewers are stopping a couple of stages earlier, and I don't mean to sort of cast everyone on the same brush, but I feel like you're right in the top 5% of how you're approaching these beers with the process you're taking. I might be mm. mistaken. Like you, You're talking to more brewers than we are, obviously. Is this sort of a, an industry-wide thing, or do you feel that uh, yourselves at Little, you're doing that little bit more? without without an intentional pun there yeah no i mean everything we do has a little bit also <laughs> you know we were a little bit over our old branding and we're a little bit excited <laughs> about where we're going and everything is a pun i guess we've come into this as a like a second industry i, I spent 10 years doing a job that was very rewarding and very technical but i was i was away at sea for six months of the year and we've come in and we've thrown a more than a little amount of money at getting this going. And we want to take it as seriously as we can. I mean, I've just finished my apprenticeship in brewing, which everybody that comes into work for us is enrolled onto this apprenticeship. Everybody's now going to go and sit their IBD general certificate. And we're, we love to be a craft brewer, but we're taking this really, really seriously. And we know that for every cask that gets sent back, it doesn't just affect the sale of that cask. It affects the whole kind of security of that retail outlet. If you lose the confidence of the publican, you might have lost that income stream completely. And so we, we're trying really hard to make sure that everything we do is as correct as we know about and we don't have any surprises. And part of putting this new little kit in is we can hopefully turn out more exciting beer i mean more exciting than the exciting beers we're already doing but more often yeah because ultimately this it's a commercial brewery it's it's not a hobby we love it i hope that comes across we absolutely it does but we you know we're tiny but we have our big kit and that's our that's our commercial income stream to be able to check out 200 cans every kind of 20 days of something crazy is that's that's the really exciting bit. That's the that's the bit that keeps people like us happy. Yeah, currently having our subscription boxes designed, we've been launching a subscription service in the new year, uh, all on the back of this because we can now, without interrupting our main kind of throughput and not turning out four thousand cans of the same same beer, we can put out small batches and we can launch a, a really exciting subscription service in the new year and. Tell us more about the subscription box and how is it going to work and what's going to be in it? Well, I, I can't tell you what's going to be in it. Other than, <laughs> you know, well, how much it will cost? A little a little bit of uh, beer heaven. There's lots of bits to be worked out because we want to offer the best deal. But people like Royal Mail throw a ho horrible obstacle. can only send 
two cans less than a litre each. Now, they're not, we're not going to be selling litre cans. We can't fit them in our SEMA. We were hoping to do three cans going out at a time, which is then on to parcel courier. And until we're sending 300 packages a week, every week, we're on the same price as everybody else, which is our hurdle at the moment. So we're in talks with a couple of parcel people or we might end up moving to a toucan on a more regular basis. So you, you get toucans every fortnight instead of just oh. a delivery every month, which I think is nicer, but hmm. that brings a logistical... Yeah, you'd almost never be off the wheel for that, would you? Because if you've got to keep going every fortnight, that that's just it's never going to stop, is it? I mean, there's, there's four of us in the brewery at the moment. We don't want it to become just work. We've got a stack of recipes, but we want it to be fun. We want to be brewing them because we're still excited and not, right, who's going to brew today because we've got to brew today. And if we don't, the whole model falls down and it just becomes work. That's what the big kit's for. The big kit's for work. Yeah. The small kit's for the fun stuff. Yeah. So you, you said there's four people involved. So there's you. Who else have we got? So myself and my dad, Nick, we were the guys that took over from the chap that retired. And then one of my best friends, Emma, who came from a local cask-only brewery. And then a friend who has come over from a mixed keg cask can brewery. And at the moment, he's mainly taking care of the logistics side. Emma's taking care of the the office, the sales, making sure we've got enough of everything in. We've obviously talked there about the subscription service. A lot of the time when we speak, the question usually is, do you want a brewery tap? Because that seems a really sort of good model for for business. Is that something that you're after as well or would entertain? Absolutely. I had a bar sort of separately for the past four years, which we sold out of uh, just in the summer this year because the two were experiencing growth that was um, kind of stifling each other. There wasn't enough of me to go, and I would probably guess I kind of liked to have a bit of a tight grip on the direction of, <laughs> of everything. Yeah. So we let the bar go to a, a much more relaxed, solely focused on the bar individual. So Andy's now running the bar, which is doing brilliantly. The problem is we've got such a small unit. We've doubled the size of our cold storage this year. We've put another two conical fermenters in. We've stuck a mezzanine in to try and squeeze a little bit more space. We've got big plans for a tap, but every time we say, right, do you think we can open this month? We go and buy another piece of kit. <laughs> I mean, I'd love for you to both come up to, uh, to have a look. But um, yeah, our, our tap room was a decent size and we're now down to about four metres by two and a half metres. <laughs> which... Any outside space you can utilise? Yes, yes, but it's not a great time of year. So <laughs> so we, we are ready. This small pilot kit is still two and a half metres by 1.8 metres. So it's taken a chunk mm. of space up. Mm. And we'll probably need two more fermenters to go with that. So we've probably lost another two square metres. The tap room's getting pushed back a little bit. With the bar, you've certainly got the experience that would go with a tap room. Yeah, I think there are two enormous positives to a tap room. Everybody sings the praises from you're selling beer at a consumer price. So your margin is fantastic. But as we found with the bar, I think the best thing about having a tap room is you can put out a very small trial product 
and get actual feedback yeah. without well, expecting your commercial value. You're not sending it to a pub and getting feedback from people who you're not really sure if that was the feedback or if it really went down well, or once that's out, that's gone. But you put it on at your tap and you go, pilot trial, my sour might be someone else's double IPA. Yeah. You know, I, I love a sour, but some people can't stand them. I love a hazy beer and some people think it's the devil's work. It should be poured down the drain, or maybe it's come from the drain. And and that that's one thing that we're finding really hard, or, or I guess I'm finding really hard, is I do brew some beer. It's not my favourite, and yeah. it's it's hard to say that. So who am I to kind of determine what what's a good beer? I suppose you have to view that beer from a personal perspective, though, is if, if I don't like brewing this beer, but everyone else does and and people enjoy tasting it that's good because hopefully i can get them onto the other beers and also it helps me be able to brew the other beers because if they like this and this this almost if this is a bit of a leader this funds being able to do the experiment and perhaps hit on something else everyone will like so one hand washes the other eventually absolutely it's really good because if you brew something you don't like you become very subjective on all the flavors. Mm. And I'd probably say that beer is kind of, that's our perfect beer. There's there's no room on it because it makes you, I think having a beer you don't like technically makes you a better brewer overall. Here's a question for you on a totally different subject. When you're not drinking your own beers. Yeah, that, beers, yeah that's beers. a fascinating question, actually, given the chat we've had. I'd love to know whose beers you, that you would enjoy. So. This is a very this this pains me, <laughs> and I'm I'm not sure how to answer it. I'm sure you two have a guilty pleasure beer, and there are times when you go to a supermarket and you just want a just a bog standard, best bitter, traditional cascale this time of year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, finished, Dave. Be nice. No, I'm finished. I'm finished. <laughs> Yeah, for everyone listening, you can't see the look of <laughs> the look of disgust I've just had. No, I, I'm not. Look, people can drink what they want. It's fine with me. Go on. Someone's what best is, bitter is another man's double IPA. We've just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. What is it then? What What do you like to drink? Well, um, Theakstons. You could have given me a million guesses. I never would have thought you'd say Theakstons. Uh-huh. If I'm in a pub and there's a normal toss-up, your Green King, your Pedigree, your Tim Taylors. Tim Taylors is fantastic. Now, Landlord, I could assume why you would say that, given everything we've said, because I I find if I go anywhere, bottle or on cask, Landlord stays the same. Theakston's just surprises me because I just never would have pegged it. The best bitter is it's a very light, and I wouldn't describe it as a traditional best bitter it's a but there's something very refreshing about it there are so many craft brewers out there that have amazing flavors and you're left with this hop burn taste actually sometimes just a mainstream boring old best bitter is actually really refreshing i can see where you're coming from with that i can switch off with it i'm not looking for the hops i'm not looking for anything hidden i'm not looking for how thick it is how how, what percentage of oats have they used in this how have they got that mouthfeel is that dextrin malt for that or is that oats or is it wheat or i wonder if they're in at a different temperature it's just it's open sit there and i'm back to enjoying a beer it's nice you can find a beer that will enable you to do that forget about 
everything you know about me and you can just sit there and drink it for what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the wrong answer. I mean, I'm, I'm in Derbyshire. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting answer. I think it absolutely, I, I think out of context, it makes no sense. But actually, when it feeds into everything we've talked about so far and you sort of saying about, you know, actually, for all the flack that, you know, Heineken having however many mentions I've had in this conversation, which is more than I expected. But actually, when you think about it, they have to nail their beer every time without fail across the world. It actually makes a lot of sense that you would seek and enjoy what that actually is as a feat, but also just... It's not going to do anything amazing. I don't need it to. I actually would just like to have a beer where I don't have to think. Yeah. I have friends that work at Heineken at the Tagcaster plant, and I've I've been round, and they're brewing 10 times a day, seven days a week. And in in every brew of those 70 brews, they're mashing in more than we mash in annually. Wow. Wow. Um, (laughs) So we think, oh, we're doing all right. And then I, I pop up to see my... My friend, and uh, she says, "Yeah, um, <laughs> you see that tank? Yeah, that's 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 your annual production in that. So we we are tiny, and we we're never going to take over take over the world, and we're never going right. to be there. Are, I think there are going to be fewer and fewer craft brewers selling out or being bought out." Every craft brewer says, oh, I never want to sell out. And every craft brewer wants £100 million. So don't get me wrong. But that's not going to happen. It's going to get more competitive. And I think for craft beer to survive, we we almost have to be more Heineken-minded. If we can't nail the technical process, and we do have more craft brewers having issues on a like cans recalled or just beers that have, have really gone wrong in a publicized people will lose the faith in the whole craft industry and it'll get pushed out again craft beer is expensive it's there's no way of hiding it we don't have the economies of scale that the big brewers have i've heard numbers of of how much sharps can turn out a cask of doom bar and it's just disgustingly low and we, we can never compete with those big brewers so we have to make it about the overall experience we have to provide the right glassware we it has to be perceivably worth what you're paying for. And yeah, if Doom Bar's two pound fifty a pint somewhere, you've got to absolutely justify why you are going to be double the price. But I think even in some instances, the taste isn't quite good enough. It's it has to be the the experience because why are they going to get a subscription pack from me when they can go to a supermarket and get mm-hmm. what is branded as their craft section? Well. I don't want to offer people the supermarket experience. I want them to get home from work and have this little a little mm. box of excitement that will brighten mm. their day and go, oh, yes, I've been waiting for this. I love that description, a little box of excitement. That is brilliant. And that's what it is. I, I do a couple of subscription services, and I look forward to the day when they land. And yeah. others I've subscribed to, they they didn't hit the mark, and I don't subscribe anymore because they didn't hit the mark. I wasn't excited when they turned up. If people do want to get hold of your beers, how can they get them? So at the moment, if you're close to the brewery, and I I say close, we're we're offering a five-mile hand-delivered service at the moment because we've just had so many issues with 
couriers and cardboard boxes who ever knew there were so many different types of cardboard i can, I can bore you now because <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for an eb if you're ever looking for corrugated cardboard single layer double layer triple layer and then you can specify the size of the flute for each layer for its impact resistance from the inside from the outside we have the wrong type of cardboard to ship anything at the moment and it doesn't survive any kind of drop test. So we can't post anything at the moment. We're really, really trying to correct that. But at the moment, you can come to the brewery and pick things up or we can deliver it within a, a five-mile radius of, of Derby. But go to the website, littlebrewing.co.uk, and all of our updates will be on there. As soon as we have any shipping, we'll be on there. Follow us on Facebook. Everything is Little Brewing, Instagram, Facebook, and we're, we're shouting about everything we can including our woolly hats which are going on after this they look tremendous by the way. oh yeah that was my next question i yeah the woolly hats yes, I, I could basically buy all of them now the woolly hats are postable we can send you woolly hats anywhere <laughs> well that has been a thoroughly entertaining and massively informative chat i enjoyed that i'm obviously incredibly passionate about this and when we talk to people you know, when you can tell their passion coming through, that we love that, don't we, Dave? That's what that's what we love to see, and well, it's obvious. This has one of been, been one of the most educational chats I it think was, we've had in a long time. It's been it's been f- fascinating from start to finish. So for that, thank you, and I I can't wait to see where you're going with this because it feels like perhaps it could be 2023 once you get the right cardboard could be your year. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Daft About Craft, the Craft Beer Podcast. Right, it's a time of the podcast where we get Sam from Copper Beach Brewing Company in Kidderminster in Worcestershire to join us. She's here. Happy Christmas, Sam. Merry Christmas to you and all of the listeners. Thank you very much. We get you on each time to give a, a different perspective, a perspective from the brewer's wife angle, uh, what it's like to be married to somebody in the brewing industry. And uh, you like to bring us different stories. What have you got for us this time? Well, actually, Dave, I uh, I'm going to need your help telling this one because um, you were you have first hand experience of this story. You were you were there, so yeah. Just to set the scene, Dan is upgrading his brew house for the. I mean, what are we on now? The fourth time. To be honest, there's been so many upgrades. I've lost track. Really, same. Um, and I think the last one didn't even get used, did it? It got built and then sold, ready to go, and then immediately sold um, to make way for, yeah, for this new kit. So the sort of boring side of it is that he'd ordered a piece of equipment that, for one reason or another, didn't make it uh, to the brewery. And in the meantime, while he was looking at what to do, otherwise, he uh, made a contact at a lovely venue in Worcester. Really good uh, little drinking spot, isn't it? It is the Oil Basin. And the the guy that runs that patch, he had some brewing equipment that he'd acquired uh, and was was sort of selling on. So Dan Dan and I went to look at it, and you know Dan was very excited, like a, a child on Christmas morning. Anything shiny gets him going, doesn't it? I just think this is like the brew kit of his wildest dreams. To be honest, I think it's bigger than he anticipated being able to have at this point as well. So that's fantastic. So, yeah, obviously these um, are, do you remember the literage? They're uni tanks, aren't they? I know they're heavy. I know that. <laughs> they're significantly bigger than what we, well, what we yeah. had. Basically, anyway. what we had initially just looked like giant saucepans and someone even asked us if we were making curry once. <laughs> so basically, he got hold of these to uh, future-proof the business somewhat. Essentially, yeah. So they were in a, a, the sort of back room of this 
pub mm-hmm. and Dan, being one man, cannot lift or remove them himself. So obviously he's called in the troops, uh, you being one of them. I noticed you weren't available on this day, Sam. Yeah, you were funny busy that. This day. I, uh, <laughs> listen, I have got absolutely zero upper body strength. I would have been no good to anyone other than bossing you all around. So I think it's probably a good job I wasn't there, to be fair. So Dan asked me to go and help him move these uni tanks out of the back of this pub. And with the help of Sam and Patch there, we did this, but... Not me, Sam. No, another Sam. <laughs> So we did this, but only after we had to drain the contents of one of these tanks because we thought there was nothing in there, but turns out there was something in there. Well, Dan said, obviously, you got the first two out, not too much trouble. And then he went to sort of do whatever with the third and he went, this is pressurised? Yeah. And Pat said, well, what does that mean? And he said, it means there's something in there. (laughs) And, and, And then this sort of smell started leaking out, which... Being nice, we could say it was like a mixed firm kind of smell. Oh, nice. So how did we decide how long we thought the contents had been in there? Two years. Two years. So, yeah, yeah, just to give some context context behind that smell. Two years worth of some sort of brew. And and did you decide what you thought it was? Well... Well, tell them them what it came out like and how you got it out. This, this, this... (laughs) The bottom of this tank was absolutely clogged with this stuff. It wouldn't come out. We had to hose it out. We had to fire water into it to get it to come out. And eventually it started, we put enough water in there that it started just leaking out. But it looked like the contents of about a thousand babies' nappies (laughs) all just seeping out bit by bit. I wish I'd have videoed it because it's one of those sort of TikTok things that would go viral. You know, people like watching pimples being pops and all this. Oh, I'm not one of them, but yeah, I know that's a thing. It was a bit, it was a bit like that. And it kept coming and coming and coming and coming. I thought, is this ever going to end? And it was bucket after bucket after bucket of this liquid and I'll let you carry on the story from there what we what we called this liquid yeah so Dan came home and obviously was retelling the story to me and he he's got a picture I don't know if he, he sent you that picture you could always put it on your insta for the um I have got a couple more to, pictures yeah. to have a look, look at but he said uh just look at it it looks like a giant bucket of gloop <laughs> so then we thought gloop that is an excellent name for a beer and obviously our beers, uh, for those who don't know, are all named after experiences that we've had in our lives. And we always put um, a QR code on the back, which leads to a web page, which will tell you the story of how that beer got its name. So this is like a sneak preview. You're getting the uh, the QR code story here before this beer is made. Because before that, it is in existence. Because it we don't even know what it is yet. It <laughs> doesn't exist. We don't know what it's going to be. But when it comes, this beer will be called Gloop. And I can pretty much guarantee you that it will smell and look a lot better than that stuff that was in that tank for two years. It certainly won't look like the contents of a thousand baggers no, nappies, as no. Dave so eloquently put it there. <laughs> but if you ever wondered how beers get their names, I imagine that you know every brewery has got a story like this oh, to tell. Oh, there's got to be so many obscure, you know, well, there are so many obscure names, aren't there, of beers? And, and I think that's kind of when we were talking about our branding. I said, it really bugs me when I don't know why it's called. You know, I really yeah. want to know the story behind the yeah. name. So, yeah. Guys, look out for Gloop in the future. And also, if you're from the Worcestershire area or you're coming this way, check out the oil basin and you might get a, a pint of it on draft. You never <laughs> you might know. do. <laughs> get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at DaftAboutCraft1. So it's time on the podcast now for the section that we call Tried and Tested, where we look at the beers we've been drinking over the last few weeks and pick our favourite one. 
and I'll kick it off here. Um, I have an invitation to the opening of a new bar, the new North Bar at Snow Hill in Birmingham. It was a bit of a uh, bit of a launch night for them. There was lots of uh, craft beer people there, lots of people from the industry, lots of people there from local breweries in Birmingham and around and about. So it was nice to have a good chat with lots of people and drink lots of beer. And the beer that I really enjoyed the most while I was there was an Imperial Stout, a 10% Imperial Stout called Endless Ends. They describe it as a robust and warming Imperial Stout made with specialist malts, indulgent adjuncts and festive spice. And it was spot on. It was a cold night when we were there and this really warmed, warmed you up on the inside. It was a really, really good beer. A great Imperial Stout from North. Their new bar at Snow Hills going to be a good one. It's very reminiscent of some of their bars in Leeds. A really good atmosphere, lovely vibe and lots of nice beers as well. So that's the new Snow Hill Bar at North. Now, I was uh, out and about on my travels there, but not too far, only to Birmingham. But Dave has been going out and about as well. And in fact, he sent us this message. So my tried and tested actually comes all the way from Belgium, which is where I am. This is a bit of a recorded message doing something a little bit different, but I'm actually in Bruges for a couple of days, just a whirlwind trip, which is all you really need for this place. It is brilliant, but it is also crammed full of beer. And there's always the opportunity to find new stuff here, which I've managed to do. And I have enjoyed the most a beer called Charbon. I'm not going to embarrass myself and try and pronounce the uh, Belgian brewery's name, but it's Charbon, C-H-A-R-B-O-N. And this is a 7% dry stout, but it's got some smoked malt in here. And listeners will know that um, I do love a good smoked beer, and this is exactly that. This is a smoky stout. It's not that heavy, you know, at 7%. The um, tasting notes say it should get some vanilla in it, but I don't get that, but I don't care because the, the smoke is perfect. It's just a really nice beer i've had it in a place called cafe rose red which i'd highly recommend if you ever do come to bruges it's a great little venue and i'm also going to make sure that i come back with at least one bottle of it as there's no end of places where you can buy the beers as well and the prices are brilliant so that is my tried and tested charbon all the way from bruges and hopefully you can either get out here or find it in and get hold of it as well there you go look dave beat all the way from bruges getting out and about on daft about craft now if you'd like to let us know what you've been enjoying drinking recently and what you're going to have over the festive season don't forget get in touch on our socials instagram facebook even twitter find us on all those platforms daft about craft one and we'd love to hear from you of course and now it's time for hype or try now when you hear this music on the podcast you know what's coming up you know it's hype or tripe how we traditionally end our episodes where we get hold of a beer and we see if it's hype or tripe now a little bit different this time because if it is tripe it's going to be a bit more tricky to say so because we've got somebody with us to talk us through not just one beer but a couple of beers welcome to the podcast uh, tom from a wonder beyond in manchester how you doing tom Hi guys, it's uh, lovely to be here. It's lovely to be invited on. And again, I hope you, hope you don't hate the beer. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We well, well, we have been known to hate some beer. Sometimes they are tripe, and we, you know, we have to call it how it is. But I've got a good feeling about these. These beers are 
Wonder Beyond's fifth birthday beers, and you've released them recently, set of five, collabs with different breweries. So the project's kind of been almost a full year in the making. Uh, the Finback collabs has been four years in the making. Wow because we just keep missing each other every time they come over or we go over to the States. And the Pomona beer, well, we've been mates with those guys pretty much in the entire existence of the brewery, so it's always good to team up with them. Uh, and yes, so five different beers, uh, a dipper with Chainhouse up in Preston, a tipper with Finback, a sour with Arpus from Estonia, a Imperial Stout with Lervig, uh, and then a beer that you guys requested to have it on it, which is the one with Pomona, 13% Imperial Stout. <laughs> big, big beers. And this is kind of what Wonder Beyond is known for, isn't it? Outside of Manchester, we're very much known for these beers. But our best-selling beer by far is our 3.8% cask pale. We do wow. four brews of that a month. We sell 220 casks of it and but we sell it to the same accounts that have been buying off us for the past five years uh, it just works for us we probably do about 50 percent of the beers are above eight percent when about 50 percent of the beers are below but again like what i was saying like 50 percent of them don't tend to go outside of manchester maybe liverpool maybe sheffield yeah, i was gonna say i've already learned something there that the, your most popular <laughs> beer is a is a cast pale i never well, ever would have thought that no by volume it's Quite a substantial difference, yeah. So obviously that sort of maybe helps keep you doing all the other bits, or do the two sort of work with each other? I think it very much works together. Uh, mm. The reason that we kind of do peak is that we're all cask beer drinkers, really, and so it was, it was our fifth ever brew was the first batch of peak and it's just been a consistent part of our entire portfolio ever since but then we started to do like mad fruity stuff and the mad imperial stouts there was a period of almost two years that we didn't brew anything less than 10 percent yeah uh during lockdown because yeah. people were going absolutely yeah. quiet but then of course when the pubs reopened then people just wanted that pint of 3.8 percent four and a half percent and we very much saw, saw the uh, needle swing in the other direction we are of course still known for our 10 percent stuff and it, we are incredibly proud of it it does kind of desensitize you though so like our eight percent birthday beer the dipper we describe as the session one <laughs> of, of the five please don't try um, and session an eight percent dipper anybody no, no, absolutely <laughs> please that is not a recommendation for anyone uh, but it is like it does desensitize you we've got our core range, if you want to call it, is a lager, a 3.8% pale and a 4.5% hazy and a 12% milkshake IPA, a 10%. <laughs> I don't think there's many breweries that kind of do such a wide no, range as what we kind of do. And we are tiny. We, we are a three and a half man operation on site. We also have our incredible Tina who does all of our artwork. She's based out in York, but we're a very incredibly, incredibly small team and small operation. It is amazing how consumers out there, people who drink your beers, get a different idea of the brewery. We I, we think, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, they're really big players. They're up there in Manchester with all the other big lads, you know, and we just think you're big. But it's fascinating to realise you're not at all. On site, you've got me, who does uh, now all the operations and all the sales. You've got our head brewer, Matt, who is 
does all the brewing. Uh, you've got a long-suffering brewery assistant and taproom manager, Dave. And that's it, really. The main owner, Dan, uh, who splits his time between Manchester and Antwerp. He does all of our exports. And that's it. Like, that's the team. We're learning so much and we haven't even tried a beer yet. Like, we need to open a beer, tired. don't we? We're all very tired <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I'll bet you are. <laughs> so, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of work. It, it, because we're such a small team, you can really see every single decision, every single ounce of effort you yeah. put in makes a difference. You must love very what you warm. do as well. I'm only 16 and it's just been very <laughs> Really, it's uh, really taken it out of us. I've been doing this now for coming up to 10 years working for breweries. Before I worked for Wanda, I worked for Anarchy up in Newcastle. Before that, I was head of sales for Brew York. Before that, I was bio and organic analytical chemist. So I've, I've had a bit of a... Mm. segue but then it's like our head brewer before he started and founded wonder he was one of the guys behind hop studio over in york which was okay. a very quite traditional cask based brewery and then before that he was a sound and lighting engineer <laughs> so <laughs> mm. it, it's kind of funny where people come from yeah i've just opened my first beer and i have as well and we'll just we'll get to yours in a minute dave if we go up in strength slightly because i am sessioning slightly because i'm getting older and i went out on saturday night and i still appear to be recovering slightly from it i'm very tired so i've actually got the dipper i've got gordian pretzel which is the collab with chain house brewing so what was the thinking behind the process and what you wanted to achieve with with the dipper so ryan who runs chain house is like a really really small operation he's just been going out of his garage for the past i think two three years just producing some of the best hazy pails i think of the northwest up there with the guys such as pomona and rivy who are doing absolutely insane stuff um he's just started to do a little bit of canning and he's just started to do a tap room so is really good and it was one of those that when we were punting these uh, ideas around of who we want to do our fifth birthday beers with we were really kind of pushing for the big guys but then we went to um, track had a festival that we were pouring at called welcome to the neighborhood uh, me and dan who's the owner uh, went over for that and drank a load of ryan stuff and it was just incredible turned to him there and went we're doing these fifth birthday collabs do you want to come down and he he, he seemed really honoured and it, it was it was kind of touching but he going places that guy like he's absolutely going to smash it and so it kind of spread out from there like the track uh, track guys know him really well and we're of course because they're about 100 metres away from us. We're good mates with them as well, and they talk so highly about him. So yeah, so we did Dipper with him. So this is using an experimental hop, which is HBC638. So you'll get a little bit of mint to it, a little bit of lime. Yes. It's, it's quite an unusual taste, but we're using our uh, our main favourite hop in this, which is Nelson Sovin, which we put in probably about 75% of our beers. We absolutely love that hop. And that comes through definitely on the back end, the Nelson Sovin. Mm. I get that limey bit. I haven't had any mint. I was a bit surprised because I opened it, had the first sip, and I thought, oh, it's going to be quite, if it's chain house, I think... And you guys, it's going to be big and fruity, and it is to start, it's, it's, but it, it's, but it's a different kind. It's very smooth as well, mm, fruity, but it's not like the sort of haze juice bombs of four years ago. And yet, it's not super DDH bitter. It sits somewhere nicely in the middle, and it is really sessionable as well. Like really sessionable. So when we had our <laughs> yeah. birthday, 
people coming in and just necking pints of it and going, oh, this is a great 5%er. And it's oh, like, no. it's 8%. It's eight, just so you know, it is 8%. I'd never guess this. I would have this off a tap blind and I'd be, oh, five, six, absolute top. So who brought what to the table in this collab? I always like asking this question. It fascinates me who does what. And- so Ryan brought, the, Ryan brought the hops sort of choice and the water treatment. He was actually ill when we were meant to be brewing it, but we only had one slot and he was so cut up about it as well. Uh, we're going to go up to his and do kind of an entire event at his new tap room very shortly. And the most important thing he brought is, of course, his cats, which are on the, on the label, which is Gordian Pretzel. <laughs> Awesome. But yeah, uh, anyone, if you find yourself in Preston. Some amazing places in Preston. You've got The Orchard, which is an incredible craft beer bar. You've got Guild Ale House, which is a great independent cask bar. You've got Plough, Plug and Taps, The Continental, which is an old hotel, completely free of tide, and you'll have some of the most weird and wonderful cask you'll ever have in your life. It's actually, it's mm. actually worth it. You're selling it. It's actually it's had a really good night. Five or six really good. Winkley Straight, uh, Straight Ale House as well, that's reopening on it. That was bought out by the staff, and so it's going to be run as a cooperative last time I heard. That might have been changed. And you've got Nico's as well, which specialised in uh, Balkan beers. Wow, so wow. a lot of beers from uh, that area of the world, which I didn't realise how many incredible breweries were coming out of that area. Which takes us on to the beer I've just opened, which is an 11% Imperial Pastry Sour in conjunction with Arpus. Now, I opened the can a couple of minutes ago, and that nose hits you straight away. Even with the can two feet away from you, you can smell what's going on there. This is probably my favourite of the five beers. Mm. I think the best is the Finback, but I think this is my favourite, if that makes sense. Yeah. This was born at a festival called Haze Fest over in Finland, which is run by our Finnish importer. So our, our owner, Dan, he went over and he was placed next to the guys from Arthur's. Um, um, they're big, fruity sours. I've, I've just always been absolutely exceptional, just just incredible. And so we kind of got in contact with those guys again. We just sent them the message out of the blue, kind of going, if you're in the area, we don't want you guys to fly over, have to fly over specially. Uh, but if you guys are about, and they went, well, actually, we're in the UK this week and we're passing through Manchester on Thursday. Oh, wow. Have you got time to brew? And it was like, yes. Yeah, 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 we absolutely, absolutely no worries. The recipe for the fruits was completely them. Actually, our first ever pastry sour. So we've, of course, known for using quite a lot of lactose mm. now beers, but you might notice that all five of these birthday beers are actually vegan completely. We're sort of moving away from that. It, we're doing longer boils, uh, using multidextrin as well, yeah. trying to find that balance for certain beers that we just don't think we'll ever be able to lose lactose from. Uh, milk stouts, for example, oh. are probably a big one. And milkshake IPAs. Am I getting some vanilla there as well? So you, you're not getting vanilla, oh, so we're okay. actually adding maple syrup to this. Oh, okay. So a little bit of a oh. brewer's uh, trick here. Most of the time, if you see uh, maple syrup on their label, they're using fenugreek, which when you ferment it, smells and tastes exactly like maple syrup. The main reason is because maple syrup is completely fermentable. So when you're pouring maple syrup in it, all that you're doing is just adding another two, three. Yeah percentage points and not really achieving anything 
but this one we actually used just pure maple syrup in it. We boiled it and we hoped that would denature it so it wouldn't be able to be fermentable. And I think we've, we've managed it very well uh, with this, but it just gives that little bit of sweetness on that back end. I'll tell you what, Dave, if you thought your 8% dipper was drinkable... <laughs> this is 11% and it's very drinkable. I was I was thinking I might have to share this can with my other half. There's no need. She's it's, not going to look him. No, it's really good. And the colour is something else, isn't it? Wow. Oh, yeah. On draft, the head pours the thick red-purple colour. Uh, it was meant to have a ton of mixed berries in it. I actually only had 980 because we dropped one bag. The journey of Wonder Beyond is interesting. So... How did it start off five years ago and how different was it then to what it is now? So it started out with Dan. So Dan's mum is Jan, who owns Marble. His dad owned a couple of pubs around Manchester. The famous one is the Knot Bar. And so he did maths at uni. Uh, I did chemistry. We sort of knew each other. We've got lots of mutual friends, but we never properly met. So he went off. He went, well, I'm going to follow the family trade. I'm going to become a brewer. So he started up Dan's Brewery, which he will admit is a terrible name. <laughs> he kind of went, no, let's do this properly. And so he got Tina uh, in to do the design and uh, Matt, um, our head brewer, to come in and help him brew to begin with. And it kind of developed from there. I think the main catalyst for how we've ended up now was uh, when we went into cans. Then started doing the fruity sours. And then Export started to love it. People started to notice the export thing, is that pretty big for you guys then? I'd probably put it as a third, a third, a third. So a third of our stuff is direct, mainly Manchester, Liverpool, Sheffield, a little bit to York. About a third of it is wholesale and about a third of it is export. Mm. Uh, sometimes sometimes it's larger, sometimes it's smaller, but I'd say it probably averages out about that-ish. I think because of the specialist sort of beers that we do, it really does work well with the export market. Yeah. Uh, started working with some far-flung places, so Singapore, Japan, Australia, Singapore. Singapore take up a lot to say how tiny a wow. country they are. Thailand as well, South Korea. You're exporting these big beers all the way around the world now, at these huge ABVs. Something I've been dying to ask is, one to beyond used to do really small cans of these big beers. Uh, and I think, and Dave and I have talked about this at length, I think that's a great idea, and I'm surprised... We also I think it's a great idea. The issue that we had, we can't get them anymore. So we contact our can supplier, which is a company called Oasthouse, which is down in Rotherham. It's kind of the guys who I'd say 50%, 70% of the market use for the cans, and they put us in contact with their distributor from Australia, who put us into their manufacturer in Taiwan who puts to be actual manufacturer in Thailand. <laughs> they went, you're more than welcome to get these, but you have to buy an entire 40 foot of them. So that was 36 pallets. Oh, what a shame. I think it's a great idea if it can ever be revisited and like if distribution gets easier or something, because I think there's a huge potential there to get those to have on your own rather than always feeling. I mean, obviously you can all drink a 440, but I would love to see the 330ml bottle become more and more widespread again. I think it works. And uh, the Tartarus guys are really pushing yeah. forward and making mm -hmm. that a premier 
sort of substance and even the guys such as like Thornbridge have done it and even the guys over at Vocation have started to do those 330 mil special releases mm-hmm. um, and I'd love to do that but the bottle is it's still been seen as almost a, a, a negative yeah. uh, unless it's a 750 mil yeah. I, I do think the market is changing and I think we'll get there relatively soon uh, but I think we're a little bit way off yet so um, Wonder Beyond five years old. We're, what's going to happen in the next five years then? <laughs> Hopefully you'll survive because it's a, a horrible climate out there at the moment. Well, we've just taken delivery of a load more barrels. Uh, January is always a dire month, I think, for the entire brewing industry. So we're just trying to push through that. So by having the barrel project running at kind of full tilt, we've got, I think last count, we've got 94 barrels. Oh, wow. Uh, so we've got we've, we've got the second largest in Manchester. Cloudwater's got like over 400. So it's quite a big gap between first and second. But well, yeah, if you, second, yeah, place. second place isn't bad. <laughs> we filled up another eight barrels today and emptied another uh, six or eight barrels today. We, we think that's going to be future-proof for a little bit. Right, it, yeah. It's just a awful state of affairs for breweries at the moment, so we've just got to try and think clever. How do you plan for a new year, especially when that new year kicks off with dry January, which is, like you say, an absolute and utter nightmare for, for brewers these days? Well, I think we see a lot more shifty bottle shops in January, and it's something that I, I do enjoy quite a lot, especially in the past couple of years, that people are going into their local bottle shop and kind of going, oh, what would you recommend? I'll get some non-alcoholic beers, and I get one or two special beers for when I finish mm-hmm. January. And mm-hmm. I've seen that as a trend, so we, we do try and help out the, those guys as much as possible. I mean, like some of our accounts will still be as busy all the way through January as they will be through December, but they're the exceptions. What we've done the past couple of years is just filled all our tanks with lager or barley wine. Use um, that time wisely, yeah. And then essentially have a couple of weeks to get everything looking the right way up in the brewery. Do you think, because you're based in Manchester and obviously there's a massively vibrant craft scene, do you think as a brewery that helps you to be part of a of a really healthy community? Yeah, I certainly don't think it hinders. We all drink together. Mm. Guys from Squawk come around, the guys from ABC, the new uh, new brewery called Balance, which is just around the corner from us. Yeah. They're around all the time. They keep they buy their key kegs off us. And the guys from ABC, we literally share a wall with alphabets. And I'm 90% sure that most of the equipment in our brewery we've just slowly stolen <laughs> from ABC over the course five years uh, I just walk in with a four pack and Andrew who's the head brewer at ABC goes right what do you want and the guys from Cloudwater and Track I mean the best one was uh, back in uh, February Marchy time so I was sat there drinking with the guys from Squawk and the guys from Track and we were talking about like what we've got coming out and I went oh we've got a 4.1% gluten free APA coming out next week and uh, to which Rosie from Squawk went oh that's funny because next week we've got a 4.1% gluten free APA coming out <laughs> um, to which Evie from Track went we've got a 4.1% gluten free APA which <laughs> <laughs> like it is a competitive market but the fact is that we're, we're all mates and we're all in it together I'd much rather see the guys at Track do well and the guys at Squawk do well than see them do badly seems to all be a little community mm. and i am scared going into the new year of what's going to happen to any one of them but i think manchester is blessed with i think probably the best brewing scene in the uk 
Well, you've got a lot of breweries. You've got a lot of people in the area who love to drink the beer as well, haven't you? That's what you've got. Well, yeah, it's the second city. But yeah, we've got a huge city centre. The suburbs are always heaving. Yeah. And we've got some incredible bars all within walking distance of each other. It's kind of funny we get the guys up from London and they're complaining that how do you get this number of bars all within like half a mile when they need to take like two tubes, a bus and an Uber ride to get from yeah. one to the other? And it's like, oh, just lucky, I suppose, mate. So we've each had one of these birthday beers. Dave, hype or try? Hype, 100%. Very easy decision. Yeah, hype all the way from me as well. You see, now I'm thinking, hmm, should I open another one and see, but uh, this could all, this could, this could lead to a very slippery slope, wouldn't <laughs> it? So if people want to get hold of these birthday beers, they're available through you on your website for £29, was it? But I would always encourage you to go to your local independent can retailer. We've dealt with so many across the country. Uh, right now, I, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to get like at least a couple of them from your friendly local uh, neighbourhood retailer. But if that fails, we do have them available at our web shop. Well, that is just about it for episode 38 of Daft About Craft. Thank you very much indeed for listening to what we've had to say on this episode and throughout the whole year. Thanks for your support through 2022. Now, we will be back at some point during the festive season with our annual cheese and beer special, so watch out for that. And then we'll be back in January with a Brew to Me special focusing on some smaller breweries you might not have heard of. But until then, from both myself and from Dave B, we wish you a very, very happy Christmas and a wonderful 2023.